Greetings and salutations, everybody. Here we are. The inmates are officially running the asylum. Harry Powell and the fine folks that have been asking for more video and more audio have won. I am E. Spencer Kite, friendly neighborhood Spencer man. It is Thursday, August 18th. We are recording a video and audio version of 10 Things I Like because this is how things go. The people give you feedback. They tell you what they want. And I deliver. So here we are, UFC 278 Fight Week takes place Saturday at Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah, headlined by a welterweight championship fight between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. This is going to be the rundown. If you if you are new to this series, what you're going to get is every Thursday I'm going to come on here and I'm going to tell you the 10 things, as the name implies, that I like about the upcoming fight card. They could be anywhere from technical things to personal things to further questions that I have, sort of tie-ins to one question from every fight. There could also be some stupidness. There could also be some just sheer randomness because this is about what I like about what's coming up on the fight card on Saturday. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree. One of the things we're going to get into right away is a thing that some people probably won't get in, won't agree with, but that's okay. It's my list. And the thing with lists are they're personal. You don't have to agree with all of them. But I hope you like some of these. So let's get into it. First thing, Kamaru Usman chasing history. Kamaru Usman, the welterweight champion, is 15-0 in the UFC. A win on Saturday brings him level with Anderson Silva for the longest win streak in UFC history at 16 consecutive fights. Some people don't like dominance. They don't like greatness. I would argue that they're the same people that don't like pizza and puppies and air conditioning on scorching hot days like we have here in Abbotsford today. We said when Anderson Silva was was on his run, when he was in the midst of his of his great run, that we probably weren't going to see something like this again. And yet here we are on the precipice of history being made. And it feels like not enough of a big deal is being made about where Kamaro Usman is at. The fact that he is one win away from equaling this record. And to me, this is a big deal. This is a thing we should be talking about more. It is a piece of this puzzle it is a piece of his legacy, his greatness. We get tied up in the GOAT conversations and Dana White wanting to say he's ahead of George St. Pierre and people wanting to take their positions on that. But the thing we haven't talked about all that much or that we haven't really focused in on, to my, in my opinion, enough is, that, is this number. is the fact that he's 15-0. That if he beats Leon Edwards and defends his title for a sixth consecutive time, he equals Anderson's mark. Again, we didn't think this was going to happen. We we sort of looked at it and thought, there's no way anybody's going to put together 16 consecutive victories in the UFC because it's freakishly hard. I talk about it all the time on this platform, on the Severe MMA preview show, winning that many consecutive fights at this level, regardless of who you are at any level, really, regardless of who you're fighting, is damn near impossible because things go wrong all the time come into a fight injured, you get injured in a fight, it's a bad night, camp goes poor, something happens, you get caught. And yet here we are with Kamaru Usman on the brink of tying a record that we didn't think would be tied. And and then would be in a position to, to potentially best that record, right? And I just think this is one of those things that for me, it, it entices me. It draws me into this fight. It's why one of the things I've enjoyed about Usman's reign thus far and his progression 
is seeing how far he can take this. I like seeing winning streaks. I like it's funny, right? People were were so on board with Tony Ferguson that he got up to 12 and didn't get the chance to fight for the title. Yet here's Usman at 15 with the last third of those being championship defenses. And it doesn't feel like that same fervor is there. We don't need to get into why that is, the the dynamics of that. But it just feels to me that on the eve or the eve eve of UFC 278, we haven't been making enough of a deal about this situation, about history potentially being tied, if, if not to say made, on Saturday. And for me, it's one of the things I'm most looking forward to. Seeing if Usman can match that record, I think it's really special and it's something that I don't take for granted at all. Item number two, Leon Edwards finally getting his shot. Finally, finally. I talked to Leon Edwards on Tuesday and that was that was my lead question. After all of these years, after all of this time waiting, waiting for that call to come, waiting for that opportunity to finally come and having to sit there and watch Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal each get two shots, what's it like to finally be here? And he said all, all the right things. That story will be up on UFC website later this week. You know, he joked about, I told my manager to just stop texting me unless it's Kamaru Usman said the correct things about, I looked at it and changed my mindset and made it about being able to be in the gym so that when the opportunity does come, I am as ready as possible. I am the best version of myself on that night. And I think we will see on Saturday, he comes into this on paper as the best version of himself. He's unbeaten in 10 fights since their first meeting together in December, 2015. I think he's merited this fight kind of two fights ago when he beat Rafael Dos Anjos. That was the bar everybody needed to to clear at the time, right? Usman cleared it. Colby Covington cleared it. Edwards cleared it. He was the one that didn't get the opportunity. He's gotten progressively better each time out. If you go back and watch some of these fights and you watch some of these, these bouts leading into this fight, even the ones where there have been dicey moments, even the ones where there have been miscues, whether that's Bilal Muhammad with the eye poke or the final 60 seconds of the Nathan Diaz fight. Everything before that shows a fighter that is developing, that is progressing, that is bolting on tools to his game to make himself the best version possible. He has ways to beat Kamaru Usman on Saturday night. There are things he can do. Harry laid it out greatly on the one-man booth over on the Severe Patreon page. Go and subscribe, people. It's crazy to remember to me as well that he is just now 30. He debuted in the UFC when he was 22 years old. I think we get we lose that a little bit. We haven't really talked about that maybe enough, in my opinion. It is one of those facts that, that stick out to me, that are important to me, that he's getting this opportunity at a time when he is both at his skill set best, but also his physical prime, his, his maturation prime as a human, as an adult, as a man. I think this is a really compelling fight. I said it earlier on on one question. I think this has fight of the year potential. This could be an absolutely monumental fight, and I cannot wait to see what happens. Third thing I like, the absolute uncertainty of Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Look, if you want to sit down and try to tell me that you know exactly what's going to happen in this fight, I'll listen I'm happy to engage in that conversation, but I think you're you're kidding yourself because there's nobody 
that can tell you exactly what's going to happen in this fight. And I don't mean from the standpoint of, hey, nobody can ever predict. There's so many variables that could go any number of ways because I don't think that's true as well. I think we see every week there are fights that people that pay attention to this sport and are analysts of this sport can tell you how they're going to play out. I mean, hell, I'm not that bright. And I picked the, you know, laid out the Jeff Neal Vicente Luque fight pretty close to being dead on. And so if I can do that, greater people than me can do that and do that every week. But what I mean about this fight is that, like, can you really tell me what Paulo Costa is going to do on Saturday night? For the first 12 fights of his career, this man absolutely wrecked everybody. Then he showed up against Yoel Romero, had a great fight, but took some punishment, took some damage, didn't get a finish for the first time in his career. Turned up against Israel Adesani, got absolutely trucked, and then comes out and says, hey, I was drinking too much red wine the night before. Couldn't sleep, so I thought I'd house a couple bottles. Then, last time out, gets to fight week, shows up at his media day, and people are like, "Uh, Paulo, you're looking a little big. Uh, What's going on there? And he says, yeah, I'm not making 85. We're going to do this at light heavyweight, or we're not going to do this at all. If you think you can tell me what's going through that guy's head right now, two days out, and how it's going to play out when he gets into the octagon, just from his side, you might be the mystic, not Conor McGregor. Luke Rockhold is the same thing. As I've mentioned in the preamble this week, I've, I talked to Luke Rockhold a couple of weeks ago. That story's up on the UFC website now. We had a great conversation, said all the right things, said all the things you want to hear from an athlete in his position, returning off a three-year layoff, dealt with his injuries, dealt with personal stuff that changed his headspace, that changed the way he looks at fighting in his career and what he wants to do at this moment. But we don't know what's going to happen when he gets in there after three years and two knockouts. At his absolute best, I said it on, on one question. He was, a, he was a killer. He was one of those one-of-one athletes that just jumped off the screen at you because he could do everything. He was dynamic. He was confident. He was brash. He was the best middleweight in the world for a, for a good stretch of time. But that was a long time ago now. Like UFC 194 was a long time ago now. And so this could go any number of ways. The best version of Luke Rockhold trucks a poor version of Paulo Costa, but the best version of Paulo Costa destroys a bad version of Luke Rockhold. And good versions of both create a really interesting dynamic in the octagon. And I'm just sitting here on Thursday dying to see this thing play out on Saturday. Item four, Jose Aldo, bantamweight contender. I didn't see this coming. Not like, not at all. Not even a little bit. He lost, in my opinion, and the judge's opinion, to Marlon Marais in his debut in the bantamweight division. Then he goes out and he gets stopped by Piotr Jan. And I sit there watching it and I go, yeah. We've gotten to that point of, of Jose Aldo's career where the next couple of years are going to be the farewell tour. We're going to give him all of his flowers that he deserves and we're going to send him off and that's going to be the end of Jose Aldo. I and everyone else that thought that was absolutely wrong. There has to be something in the water that they're giving him with the Brazilian Navy when he's down there boxing because Jose Aldo, to all of our surprises, to all of our amazement, is a contender again. And this time in the 135-pound weight class, which is not something that happens, right? You don't generally, as you get older, go down in weight and remain ultra competitive. And here's Aldo doing it. 
And I think it gets lost a little bit just how good he's been these last three fights. Enters this fight with Marab Dwalishvili on Saturday on a three-fight winning streak. Started with a very good, a very clean, undisputable win over Marlon Chito Vera, who you'll remember last weekend kicked Dominic Cruz in the face, sent him to the shadow realm, and cemented his position as a top-five fighter in the bantamweight division. After that, he beat Pedro Munoz before Dominic Cruz beat Pedro Munoz, beating him cleanly, decisively, no questions asked. And then he did the same thing to Rob Font before Marlon Vera did the same thing to Rob Font. And here we are, inexplicably. If he beats Marab Dwalishvili on Saturday, Jose Aldo is on the short list of bantamweight title challengers. And at the start of this run or after that fight with Piotr Jan, if you told me two years from now, this is where we'll be, I'd have called you crazy. And I would owe you an apology. Item number five. Alexander Romanov's entrance exam. As I said on one question, my question was, what kind of heavyweight is he going to be? I think we find out a little bit of that on Saturday. I love this fight with Marcin Tybura. It is the right opportunity for a guy that's 5-0 and in the UFC and undefeated overall. He's beaten a bunch of low-end heavyweights. We, we don't need to go through the middle-tier fighters, the guys that are just outside of the top 15. And I say that with all due respect to a guy like Tanner Boser that he was supposed to fight earlier this year before Tanner got hurt and wasn't able to compete, turned into Romanov absolutely trucking Chase Sherman. I don't need to see those fights right now. We can skip those at heavyweight. This is one of those divisions where you can move through that and just get me into a fight with a guy like Tabura, who's a divisional stalwart. Yes, he's only 9-7 and seven in the UFC, but he's fought good competition. He's beaten guys like this, the guys that maybe shouldn't be in the top 10, maybe aren't yet ready to get to this level in the past. And that's what makes him the right test for Romanov. He looks to be in even better shape this time too. I know that sounds weird to say about fighters, but if you go and look at the first few fights of Alexander Romanov's UFC career, and then you look at the Chase Sherman fight and you check out Embedded, he looks even more tucked up. He looks even more spelt. And I got to reach out and find out how he did it because I'd like to follow the game plan. Now I'm a little bit older, probably got a little less athleticism. And that's an understatement. All those things. Give a brother some ideas. Item six. Pedro, quick return. Whenever someone's been off, for a bunch of years and, and had terrible injury luck and, and things like that. It's always nice to see them come back and, and be able to, to compete regularly. And that's what we're getting with Tyson Pedro. He went three years and four months between fights. And now he's back four months later. He's being given a bit of a slower road and, and, and an easier road. And I say that with all due respect to Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker, sorry, boys, but but you are not light heavyweight litmus tests. You are not divisional stalwarts. You are, let's just see if this guy's still got something fighters. And I'm okay with that. Tyson Pedro doesn't need to be hustled into the thick of things in the light heavyweight division right now. Not off after that long of a time away. Let him come in and get reacclimated. Let's see if he can stay healthy, let's see if he can put together a couple of strong performances to start moving forward, to get him to that point, 
where he gets back into facing top 15 talent. And I think this is probably the last one that he needs before he gets there, right? He's a guy that fought Khalil Roundtree and Paul Craig and Ovint St. Prue and, and Shogun Hua, excuse me, back in the day before all of the injuries. So he's certainly someone the UFC saw promise in, saw upside in, that showed some potential. So we'll get back there. I think we will get back there if he can stay healthy and he can keep putting together these victories. But it's just right now nice to see him making a four-month turnaround and competing for a second time this year after so many years away. He's still only 30. There's lots of time for him to go on his run, to go on sort of that, that stretch that maybe carries him into the top 10 or the top five, and we see the best version of him but it doesn't have to be right out of the gate. And so I'm just happy that the Tyson's back this weekend, gets an opportunity to compete again, gets an opportunity to showcase his skills and, and we get a chance to watch it on Saturday. Item seven, another chance to check out Sean Woodson. Said it yesterday on one thing. This is a guy that is just, it's ineffable to me why I why I'm drawn to him. Dana White said it on Tuesday night about Haley Cowan. There's just something about her that he liked that made him decide, I want to give this, this woman a contract and give her an opportunity to compete. I would say it's the fact that she's absolutely ferociously brute strong in a division where you don't see that. And she also performed well, busted up Claudia Lette's eye, made her bleed all over the place, got a good win. I would say that's that would be the things. For me, I I mean, it, with Sean Woodson, it's, it's the length. It's the size overall. It's the weapons that he has because of that size and that length. It's the results he's had thus far being three and one in the UFC, getting his contract by knocking out Terrence McKinney. And yes, it's an earlier version of Terrence McKinney. It's not the guy that we're seeing now, but it's still a guy that has those same core elements that still has those same raw materials. And he went and put a knee in his head that put him down and out. And made me go, all right, let me let me pay attention to this guy from St. Louis. He's got born ready tattooed across his belly and is and is ready to go. And is is weird and interesting at his size for the 145-pound weight class. One thing with Sean Woodson, and and I say this again, no disrespect to the people he's with, but I would love to see him train with a different team, different coaches, different training partners. Because you're in the UFC now. You are, this is your chance to start going on a run. This is your chance to start putting things together. Enters this fight on Saturday with Luis Saldana on a two-fight winning streak. As I said, three and one in the UFC. This is where you can try to make some hay. And for as much as I value loyalty, as much as I value staying with the people that, you know, dance with the girl that brought you, this might be the time where you need to go and train with some coaches and, and fighters that have already been there, that have already done this, that have graduated fighters through the ranks in the UFC and aren't just the guys from the regional scene. I think that's how a fighter like Sean Woodson can take those raw materials that we see and the unfinished skills that we see and polish them up and give himself the best opportunity to get to where he wants to get to. Item number eight, Miranda Maverick's slow climb. Normally I would be on here talking about 
the reduced pace someone is taking up the rankings. But with Miranda Maverick, I think it's actually a real net positive and will be a, that pays dividends in the future. She just turned 25 in July. She's 14 fights into her career, 10 and four. And I think those two losses to fellow young fighters in the flyweight division, Macy Barber and, and Aaron Blanchfield, slowed her ascent. And it's ultimately a good thing. She's now training at Elevation Fight Team, gets a chance to work on all the areas that, that she needs to work on, develop the skills without any of the pressure of being the young emerging talent in this division. Blanchfield can have it. Casey O'Neill can have it. Macy Barber can have, can have it. While Miranda Maverick can just get better and just continue to progress and continue to to add skills and, and figure out that exact window that I talked about yesterday of this is what I'm best at. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I deploy it. I think she gets an opportunity on Saturday with Shana Young to sort of show that further. And my hope, if she comes out and dominates the way that I think she can, the way that she did last time out against Sabina Mazo, is that everybody in the MMA community and the UFC themselves, the makers, are excited about it, but not overly excited about it. It doesn't turn into a like, well, let's get her in there with somebody in the top 10. It doesn't need to be that. We can allow fighters multiple years to grow and progress and develop and get better. That's what they need. We see that, right? Talked about it lots on, on this show, on different shows. Until Yuri Prohoshka won the light heavyweight title, every champion in the UE was above the age of 30. Most of them had a wealth of experience inside the octagon. So as much as it's exciting to see 23, 24, 25-year-old fighters climbing the ranks and looking at the potential and saying, let's get them in there. Let's see. Let's wait. Let's take the Sean Sheehan approach. Have the best fighters fight each other when they are at their best. Miranda Maverick isn't at her best yet. She's close. She's getting there. But let's give her those couple years. And I think this slowed climb is going to ensure that when she gets there, it really is the best version of her. Number nine, Amir Albazi returns. Very excited about this. He's 28 years old, 14-1 overall, only losses to UFC vet Shorty Torres. He's a guy that's brimming with confidence. He's 2-0 in the UFC. He's got some swagger. He trains with the Basharat brothers who are very, very good. Shouts to Harry for, for big upping. Javid and Farid Basharat. He looks like someone that can be a factor and, and be a presence at 125 pounds. I think Francisco Figueredo is a good test and a good matchup without being so difficult a test that it stifles the growth, that it slows the, the potential rise. I also think that with 19 months since his last fight, this is the right way to wade back into the waters for Amir Albazi. He enters this fight ranked number 11 in the, in the flyweight division. And I think as much as the UFC could have booked him against another top 10, top 15 fighter, I know we had some beef with Tim Elliott. They could have made that fight happen. I think this is better because similar to Miranda Maverick, there's, there's not a real need to rush this yet. Things at the top of the flyweight division are a little bit convoluted. We have a champion, Davidson Figueredo. We have an interim champion in Brandon Moreno. We have Alessandre Pantoja, 
who is sitting there waiting for his opportunity after beating the absolute piss out of Alex Perez a couple of weeks ago. We still have Kai Kara-France and Askar Askarov and Brandon Royville and a bunch of people that are all sitting there sort of waiting to figure out how this is all going to play out and how everything is going to line up. And so there's no need to hustle Albazi into that to then pull him back and hold him off. It's a good fight. It's a good opportunity to get another look at the Prince, see where he goes, figure out where that, that floor sits, get another read at, at potentially where the ceiling may rest, and just see him get back in there, right? 19 months off, there's going to be rust. Sorry, Dom Cruz, it's a real thing. And let's just see. Let's just get him out there. I'm happy to see him back. I'm excited to see him back because I think this could be both an exciting performance on Saturday early in the card and a harbinger of things to come for Amir Albazi. Number 10, last one. The Mongolian murderer returns. Look, I'm a simple man with simple things, with simple likes. You give me a guy named the Mongolian murderer, goes out there, tries to murder people. I'm in. I'm excited. I want to see him every single time. I don't care if he doesn't progress anywhere up the rankings. And it's just always against fighters in the lower third of the bantamweight division. I am going to be excited to watch a Ricky Ling fight each and every time because he tries to murder people. And as much as I want to get on here and talk about all the technical things that I like and all the narrative things that I like and all the personal storyline things that I like, I also like just watching people try to murder each other every Saturday. Now, I also think that Ricky Ling has some promise in the bantamweight division. As I said yesterday, is this a guy we're going to have to start watching, paying attention to, seeing if he can climb the ranks and join the massive talent in the bantamweight division? Maybe. Don't necessarily think this fight with Jay Perrin is going to answer that question from yesterday. But he's going to go out there and try to murder him early in the fight card, second fight of the night. And that's that's really exciting. That's a thing I like. That's a thing I'm looking forward to on Saturday. And that's what this is. These are the things I like, the 10 things I like. And so every Thursday going forward, provided, you know, cameras and I'm not on vacation. I shouldn't say every Thursday going forward because in a couple of weeks, I'm actually taking a vacation. I'm taking a full 10 days, not doing any work for the first time in 12 years. So there won't be one of these while I'm in Newfoundland because the internet will be even shoddier than it is right now. And I don't want to be pulling out the laptop while my family wants to go hiking or visit family or do whatever we're going to do. So there will be a break. But for the most part, just as every Monday is the podcast, every Tuesday is Fighter to Watch, Wednesday is one question, Thursdays will be right here for 10 things. Hope you enjoy it. I hope you're back for it. Let me know what you think. As I I said off the top, the inmates are running the asylum. Your comments, your, your thoughts your push to do more of this has led me to do more of this. And I enjoy it. I like it. It's it's quicker than sitting down and writing 2,000 words. So that's it for UFC 278. We'll be back next week. No, we won't be back next week. No fights next week. Again, going to have to force Harry to come on and just talk to me for 30 minutes to fill this space. Because he's producing behind the scenes anyway. So we'll just bring him out on camera, even if we just talk about his dog. Enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Get hype for UFC 278. I think this is going to be a really entertaining card. I think this is going to produce some, some entertaining fights, some good finishes, some fun times on Saturday. I can't wait for it. I will see you on Twitter on Saturday. I'll see you back here tomorrow for the Punch Drunk predictions and betting picks. Appreciate you all. 
Have a good rest of the week. See you Saturday.